morning, everyone. And the reading this morning. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is God's way of dealing with our sins, not only ours, but the sins of the world. This is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who claims I know him will not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in this person. But the love of God is truly perfected in whoever keeps his word. This is how we know we are in him. The one who claims to remain in him ought to live in the same way as he lived. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the message you heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light already shines. The one who claims to be in the light while hating a brother or sister is in the darkness even now. The person loving a brother and a sister stays in the light. And there's nothing in the light that causes a person to stumble. First John 2, 1 through 10. And there's more. All right. Uh, second is Matthew 23, 23 to 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you, the mint, dill, and cumin, and, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain on a gnat, but swallow a camel. Amen. Word to the, to the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, Brian. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and it's... Oh, thank you. Such a delight to be with you all this morning, here in person, and joining us virtually. Um, it just feels really great to, uh, to continue to see this community evolve and grow. Um, I'm seeing some new faces here and some faces who are back for the first time in a long time, and it's just such a joy to be with you. Uh, and, and to see your names and comments online as well. I know we have people joining us from Illinois and Idaho um, and beyond. And so shout out where you're tuning in from um, if you're not local. Um, and, and folks, if you are in the room here with me and you're on your phone, I will not take that as rudeness. I will assume you are interacting with our community members virtually. So go ahead and tweet and text away. Um, it's it's a, new, a new form of church that we live in together. But it is a communal one and ways that we can be together in this. Which is so important because as Cameron mentioned, we are continuing to talk about sin. And I know that sin talk has been really damaging to a lot of us. Has caused a lot of harm. Ironically has been sinful. It has wounded a lot of us because misunderstandings of sin and turning the concept of sin, the language of sin into a weapon has caused a lot of pain and violence and wounding in the world. And I know that many of us carry those wounds with us still and we work to heal them every day and we work to heal them in community and we work to heal them with the love of the God who created us in God's own image. 
And so we could be tempted to just totally ditch the concept of sin. And some communities do. Some communities talk very little about sin because it has been so harmful. And yet, the Jesus we follow, the scriptures we love, urge us to think about sin, urge us to talk about sin, to confront it, to know what it is. And I truly believe that when we know sin from the understanding of the scriptures, of the God who loves us and made us and is making us continually with their Holy Spirit breath every moment, the Jesus who died for us and who lives for us, we will be invited into freedom. And that that understanding of sin is something actually that we long for, that we demand even when we are in the streets demanding justice, that we ask for with one another when we ask for accountability, when we ask one another to be transparent about the ways that we've harmed or made mistakes, when we expect of ourselves to do that self-reflective work, to be the people we want to be, we have to confront the ways that we have fallen short, which is one of the many metaphors that Scripture uses for sin. Now, when we talk about sin, there are a lot of different ways to think about it, a lot of different metaphors that people have used over centuries to understand it. This is good and holy, and different metaphors, different concepts, different ideas of encountering sin, these are important. And different ideas or metaphors are going to work differently in different communities and generations and times. And I think one of the reasons that we have such a hard time with sin is that our culture has really decided to emphasize the criminal legal understanding of sin that says you have violated the law in the way that we conceptualize law in our community which is tied to our criminal legal system, which, as we talk about often here at Zao, is morally bereft, is causing harm, is killing people, and is violating the gospel. We are abolitionists here at Zao, and so it would make no sense for us to then take that same logic of the carceral state, the same logic of the prison industrial complex, and apply it to God. Because we believe in a God of freedom and liberation. And so... When we engage sin, we need different metaphors because those ones aren't working for us. Our culture has twisted our understanding of crime and law so much that we need a new way in. Now in the scriptures, the law is a gift. The law is something beautiful. But the law is something so different than we understand now that we really need to take a step back. You see, the scriptures are complex and they take place within a culture as well. And so we have the truth, the eternal truth of the scriptures, the eternal truth of the love of God, the eternal truth of Jesus Christ, our liberator, mixed up with Jewish culture and Greek culture and American culture. And navigating that, discerning what is true, what is holy, what is godly, and what is good, requires nuance requires conversation, requires community and support, and it requires some humility to say, hey, we don't actually have to stand so aggressively on every single point. We can hold a little loosely to this and say we are all on a path. We are all on a path of understanding. We are all on a path towards God. What do we know? Let us claim what we know with boldness, but let us not be so rigid as to think there is only one way of understanding. 
Now, this is really tough for us because we actually don't like that. <laughs> we don't like to do that. It's messy. It's hard. It's complicated. We want to know the essentials and move on with our lives. The Bible is a big book. Have you ever really looked at it? Like, there are some little ones, but then you open it and you need a microscope to read it. It's like, that's cheating. You didn't actually make this shorter. Bible needs an editor. It's a really big book. And there are a lot of authors weaving their understandings of God and the law and holiness into it, offering their many perspectives, which is good and divine and holy. It gives us all those different entry points to understanding the God of the universe. But, oh, that makes it so hard. It's so messy. Anybody here old enough to uh, remember Cliff's Notes? <laughs> Cliff's Notes were the mini book that you read instead of doing the actual reading in your, in your English class until you realized that Cliff's Notes was still reading a book. And you might as well skim. <laughs> but those, those impulses we have, we want the Cliff's Notes version. Now we don't even need that because thank God we got Wikipedia. But we do this to the Bible, too. We're always looking for lists. We want holy BuzzFeed articles, right? We want a cheat sheet, as though we're going to have a pop quiz at any moment. And so instead of encountering Scripture as a complex invitation into community and healing and transformation and divinity, we want a list of do's and don'ts. We want to tell people what to do. We want to know what to do so we can tell people what to do. We want to know what to do so we can tell people what not to do. We want to know what to do so that we can feel righteous. But that is not actually what righteousness is. Righteousness is not getting it right all the time. I know that's confusing. English has that all messed up. Righteousness is about relationship. According to the scripture, God calls righteous those who are in good relationship. And people in relationship are not perfect. Right relationship is not about perfection. It's not about not making mistakes. And in fact, the, the people that, that God calls righteous in the scriptures, ooh, they make a lot of big mistakes. Whoa, whoa, mistakes. But their right relationship is about seeking after God and about seeking after love and community and justice and setting things right in the world. But that's a lot of work to think about holiness, righteousness, and sin in those ways. And so we would really, really prefer if someone would just write us a listicle. Thank you. And so we do that. We pull that out. We're like, great. BuzzFeed version of the Bible. Ten commandments you'll only recognize if you grew up in exile in the desert. <laughs> Seven sins you won't be caught dead wearing this spring. But it's so much more complex than that, you guys. The Ten Commandments, can anybody list them? Yeah, because there's more than 10 of them. There is a list that we get, the Ten Commandments, that God gives Moses, and they etch them into stone. They're like, this is permanent. Come down from the mountain. Oh, the people are being bonkers. They've totally abandoned God. They've got a new God. They made him out of gold. And, and Moses gets super mad. So he, in a tantrum, throws the stones on the ground. They crack. They shatter. They got to start again. Moses goes back up the mountain. It's like, so God, I did a thing. God's like, great, I'll give you new Ten Commandments. They're going to be the same exact Ten Commandments. Here's ten different commandments. <laughs> so you would think, okay, we would go with the revised version, right? The second version. 
the one that God was like, okay, draft one, fine, I get it. Feedback, I hear it. Here's version two. No, no, because the first one is the one that most of us are more familiar with. And the second list, the second list commands us to observe the festival of weeks, which I haven't observed in a very long time, to only make sacrifices at certain times of day. And I kid you not, in the King James Version, literally mentions the matrix. If you don't believe me, just take this as an invitation to orient yourself to Scripture. Seek out that second version of the Ten Commandments. It talks about the matrix. So what else? What else do we do? What else do we pull from if it's not going to be the Ten Commandments? Well, we've decided on these seven sins, the deadly ones. Pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. So where is that list in Scripture? The answer, nowhere. It's not in Scripture. It was uh, built, that list, outside of Scripture within the history of the church. It goes along with seven virtues. Um, there's like a whole actual mess of other lists. And, and so we see then how our impulse to create these lists, to create these um, priorities, to say, oh, I know what the worst ones are. I know what the worst ones are. Here, I'll give you a list. Like, that's so outside of Scripture, that's so outside of Scripture that some of our lists don't even come from Scripture at all. And we kind of import them back in. Now, there is theoretically a list of laws in the Scripture. It's really long. It's called the Torah. It's basically the whole first part of the book. And there are more than 600 laws. But these are the laws that are varied and wild. They are the laws that command people to love God, and neighbor. They're the laws that command people to um, not eat shellfish and never get tattoos. They're the laws that dictate when and how to observe certain religious festivals. There's a lot of material in there. And so I get it. I get it. When we look at what we are told in the Bible, there are enough do's and don'ts. There are enough conflicting lists that we are like, can someone just pare this down a little bit here so I can get it right? We are so concerned with getting it right. We are so concerned because we have internalized this fear that if we get it wrong, we're dead. Those are the deadly sins. They're not just like the oops sins or the really bad sins. They are the deadly sins. And the mythology we've created outside of Scripture in our culture is all the various ways that God's going to torture us for eternity if we make these mistakes. That is not the God of the gospel. That is not the God of Jesus Christ. That is our shame and our fear compounding in community around these ideas and myths that we then think are in the Bible and we try and, and use to shortcut our way into righteousness because we've lost track that righteousness isn't rightness. It's right relationship. Righteousness is right relationship. Now, a lot of our worry comes down to this idea that maybe some sins are worse than other sins. Maybe some sins are the really bad ones. And I know that the expectation is for me to stand up here and tell you, there's not. All sins are equal. It's all good. But I'm not actually going to do that. 
Because I do believe that there are some sins that are quote-unquote worse than other sins. Now, the reason that we're worried about it, I'm going to spoil the ending here, because if I was really doing the drama thing, I'd hold off into the ending. Big reveal, I'm not going to do that to you. That feels like torture. The, the big reveal at the ending is that actually there's no sin that's any worse than others in terms of repair. There's nothing you can do that can prevent you from receiving the fully healing, transforming love of God. There's no sin that's too bad. And that's what we're really worried about, right? That there's a line that we're going to cross someday that we can't come back from. That there's something that we can do that is so bad that God will never love us again. And like that sin, that's not real. That doesn't exist. But we're focusing on the wrong thing. We are focusing on the punishment because we have that carceral mindset. If I do something bad, I must be punished. We're focusing on the punishment that isn't coming because that's not who God is. Instead of focusing on the impact and what we know from our communities, from demanding justice in our streets, from asking for accountability in our relationships, is that impact is what matters. And when it comes to sin, impact is different. I want to invite you again, if you weren't here last week, I'm going to share with you a different understanding of sin, a different metaphor that we encountered last week that might help us uh, shift our relationship to these concepts. So instead of thinking about sin as a, as a list of things that you're not supposed to do, and when you get one wrong, you have broken the law in the way that we think about it in our country, and you're going to be punished for it because you deserve to be punished for your sins, right? That's a very American carceral state understanding of sin. I want you to think about it in a way that's a little bit more in line with the Eastern Fathers, where the whole of creation, the cosmos, the universe, the earth, creation, is woven together in relationship and love, and that the substance of that fabric is God and is love. That all things are made for one another in love. All things are in relationship. And the goal of the universe, the longing of the universe, is right relationship, which is wholeness. To be in that continuous, um, holy, healthy intimacy where we can be connected to each other and still maintain our identity. Because that is what God models for us in God's own self in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, intimately connected, one and distinct. All of creation is intended to be in this right and righteous relationship. The fabric of the cosmos is meant to be woven together. And yet, there are times, there are incidents, there are moments when something creates a tear. Something creates a tear in the fabric of the universe. Now, that could be a small, a little micro tear, or that could be large, a rift, or that could be huge, a gash ripped through the cosmos. These things are sins. That's just the name we have for what happens when we are wounded. When we are wounded as individuals, in our relationships, in our communities, and in the whole universe, those wounds are called sins. And focusing on that impact, not on fear of reprisal, because a punishment would just create more tears in the universe. 
Our universe feels like it's in tatters and our God is not here to beat us for it. Our God is here to weave us back together in love and our God chooses not to do that alone but to do that in participation with us, calling out to us to say, repent. Repent, meaning turn back. Turn back towards the other. Turn back towards this fabric. Stop pulling yourself away or apart. Come back together. Repent. Stop causing harm. Examine the ways that you are contributing to these tears and heal with me. Heal with us. And so... In the scheme of this beautiful fabric of the universe that we are trying to protect and heal and weave back together in the love of God, there are things that cause more damage than others. But our lists, our listicles, our seven deadlies, they are monumental misjudgments of what causes the most impact in the tears of our universe. We have got to understand that like, yes, it is more important in terms of the fabric of the universe to not murder than to not mix linens. Now that doesn't mean that not mixing linens or not getting a tattoo or not eating shellfish were never, never important. But we have to understand how. We have to ask. When we're reading scriptures and we see commandments we don't understand, we say, how? How would this protect the fabric of this community? How would this help heal wounds in this community? And that's where we remember that there is a cultural setting for the Bible and it is not ours. And so some of those laws were really intended to help hold together a Jewish identity, help establish what it meant to be inside the community, ways that you would know that you belonged, ways that you would keep a culture that you were holding together that was an honoring of God just by being a practice. They said, this is what we're going to do to honor God. We picked this. And so by practicing that together, by sharing meals that were prepared in just a certain way, by, by wearing and mending and sharing clothing that was just a certain way, this is a way to build community, to weave together, to draw in with closeness. And so we say, hey, are those laws intended for us? Will those laws draw us toward one another? Will those laws weave us together in love and help us mend the universe? And the answer across scripture is some of them. Some of them. And we have to understand what the themes are. And so, you know, for all of my ragging on Cliff's Notes and Wikipedia and BuzzFeed, Jesus did do this for us. Jesus was like, I get it, it's really long. I get it, it's really complicated. I get it, it's overwhelming. Here's what you need to know. You need to love God. You need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is what the whole law is about. This is the, is the logic of the law. This is the foundation of that healing. Love God, love neighbor, love self. That love is what binds us all together. And so to the extent that those laws serve that purpose, we should follow them. And to the extent that those laws are harming our ability to do that, we should re-examine them. Jesus had a confrontation about the Sabbath in this very way. The Sabbath, one of the Ten Commandments that actually did make both lists. So 
<laughs> really one of the good ones. And he was confronted about healing on the Sabbath. And, and they said, oh, look at you breaking commandments like you're somebody. And he's like, listen, the law was made for you. You weren't made for the law. The law was made for you. You weren't made for the law. It is not our purpose to fulfill the law. The law's purpose is to fulfill our task, to give us guidelines, to give us some, some instruction about how to heal the universe. But if healing, as Jesus did on the Sabbath, if healing is the ultimate goal of the law, then any law that conflicts with it can just take, just take a little step back for a moment. Because what are we doing but mending the universe back together? That is the goal. And so, when the teachers and instructors of the law, who loved the law, who, Jesus is really harsh with you guys. Like, I just want you to understand that when Jesus is like, woe to you, it's like about as close to saying stuff that I usually don't say up here as you can get. Like, in his time, that was real rude. (laughs) Real rude. Woe to you, it's a curse. I curse you. And he's saying this to respected people of the law, people who are, have, have taken on the task of interpreting the law for the community. And so, like, it's very easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, Jesus stuck it to the religious elites because we like to do that too. But uh, Jesus really was, was, like, very aggressive about this to people who were trying their best. And, and the reason is because What Jesus says is when you are the ones mediating this and telling people how they're going to access God, you really got to get it right. Because the worst thing that you can do here is try and tell people that there's only one path to God and you know it and if they violate it, they're out forever. Because the whole point here, people, is to weave the universe back together, right? So like you can't cast people out because they made a mistake, especially if their mistake is according to your interpretation of the law and you are prioritizing the wrong things, Pharisees, woe to you! You hypocrites! What he's saying in this passage that we heard today is you tithe on the tiniest little things. You take your spices that you're going to make for your meal, and you give one-tenth of that to Jesus. That's fine. Well, not Jesus. He's Jesus. But you know, you follow me. So you give some of that, right? You, you take the law so literally that you're fulfilling it in even the tiniest little ways. And then you neglect justice. You neglect the poor. You allow harm to continue. He's not saying it's bad to give one-tenth of every little last thing to God. That's not bad. He's like, great, you're doing that, good. But that's the gnat you are straining out of your soup. And you are swallowing a camel. Be concerned about the camel. Impact matters. Be concerned about the huge gashes in the universe. Impact matters. And so, when we want to know where to start with sin. When we want to know where to start with sin, we need to start with impact. One of the churchy ways we talk about this is fruit. What is the fruit of this behavior? What is the fruit of this culture? What is the fruit of this institution? And I think that when we start there, we get a lot clearer, a lot faster about what hurts God's heart and about what hurts the cosmos and about what hurts us. When we start with impact, when we start with the fruit of our labor, we see things very differently. And I think that 
we can really shift our broken understanding of the law. So take sexual sin, for instance. Again, I know that the expectation is for me to come up here and say, God doesn't care what happens in your bedroom. It's not true. God absolutely cares what happens in your sex life and with your sexuality. But it is because God loves you and there is holiness that you have. And that sin is not, sex is not a dirty sin the way that the church has made it out to be. We need to look at the impact. What is the impact? What is the fruit of healthy queer relationship? The fruit of healthy queer relationship is love. The fruit of healthy queer relationship is family, is community, is holiness. The fruit of healthy queer relationship is faith for so many people in this room and in our community. And so when we think about that, when we think about the impact, the fruit, and we start and we say queer love is healing. Queer love is accomplishing that goal of knitting the universe back together. Queer love is holy. Queer love is divine. But the, what about the rest of the things that we call sexual sin? What about the things that the church has been horrifically silent on? Marital abuse and rape? What is the fruit of that? Violence, brokenness, woundedness, isolation. The church needs to be talking about sexual sin, but we need to be talking about what actually wounds. We need to be examining the fruit of our relationships. And this is why the church gets all everything wrong when we focus on queerness instead of marital rape or premarital sex versus sex that is uh, dehumanizing or survival sex versus predatory sex. We need to get our priorities straight because some sin is more damaging than others and some sin isn't sin at all. What is the fruit? What is the impact what is the camel? What is the gnat? And what is the healing on the Sabbath? What heals us? That is the opposite of sin. That is repentance. Doing what heals is repenting, is turning towards God, is turning towards love. We are so afraid of crossing a line that cannot bring us back but one of the scriptures I want you to hold in your heart, because it is, it's hard, right? It's hard to determine. It's like, okay, so I think this is healing, but so-and-so said it's not healing, and this whole mess of people told me that I'm going to burn in hell forever, so like, how do I actually move with confidence in the world? And I just want you to know that you're not going to get everything right, but it's not about being right. Righteousness is not about right. It's about right relationship. And so as long as you are pursuing God, as long as you are pursuing holiness in your relationship in yourself, as long as you are coming to God and saying, hey God, I'm trying here, help me out, connect me to the people who will heal me, connect me to the communities, direct me to the places in scripture I can find healing, you are pursuing righteousness. And you're not going to get it right every time, and that's okay. And if you want a scripture, if you want an anchor to hold on to in the midst of that, in the midst of that worry, in the midst of knowing that you're not going to always get it right, that some of the things that you're going to pursue are going to cause harm, I want you to hold this. This is what Paul said about it. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Nothing can separate you. You will never be cast out of the cosmos. God's goal, the goal of creation, is to mend itself back together in love. And anytime we do something healing, anytime we confront those systems of evil, anytime we confront ourselves for our participation in wounding or harm, we are stitching that back together. We are healing ourselves into wholeness through the love of God. Now, just in case you come across it at some point in your exploration of this big old book, I do want to warn you that there is one sin, one sin that Jesus calls unforgivable. And it's been the subject of a lot of debate. You see, what's happening is that Jesus is, once again, healing people. Healing people. And the the Pharisees and the scribes and the people who really don't understand what he's doing are like, he must be doing that with the devil. Like, that power must be coming from the devil. And so they confront him about it, and they're like, you're doing the work of the devil. And Jesus gets big mad. And he's like, listen, healing is the point. I can't do the thing that God is doing in the universe, healing, transformation, love, stitching back together, mending wholeness. I can't do the thing of God with not God. It's not the devil that heals us back together. And so what you're doing, you're blaspheming God. You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You are looking at the work of God, the work of love in this world, and calling that evil? That's the unforgivable sin. Now, unforgivable is a tough word to cope with, right? Because we're like, wait a minute, we just said nothing can separate us. But I think what Jesus is doing here, using once again his very characteristic, super strong language, is saying, this is something to pay attention to. The thing that I can't work with is you looking at healing and calling it wounding. Is you looking at healing and calling it illegal or against the law or against God. I need you to get on board. I need you to get on board with healing. I need you to get on board with mending. And that's really tough for a lot of us because not all the mending is up to us. Not all of the wounds are things that we had a hand in. And there's a thing that a lot of us are trying to work with in our own healing called boundaries. And so there are going to be times where we have to stand at the edge of a wound in the cosmos, in a wound in our relationships, a wound with ourselves maybe, or a systemic evil that we actually can't engage and say like, I see that this is happening and I trust in the fullness of time that God will heal it. But what God is telling us we need to do, what Jesus is commanding us to do in this moment is to get on board with healing and to look out for it and not to be confused, not to call something that is healing and holy and good evil, but to look for the fruit and look for the impact and to say, this is actually stitching our universe back together. God is doing God's work. And what is good and righteous should be called good and righteous because righteous is right relationship. And we pursue God in right relationship. The heart of the law, love God, love neighbor, love self. All of these things going together, moving together, that's what brings us to wholeness. And, and Jesus even, along with the prophets, gives us kind of another, like a second level, like, okay, so you want to, you know, chapter two? Um, justice. The widow, 
the poor, the orphan, the vulnerable, the marginalized, start there. Who needs healing? Those who have been cast out, bring them in. Bring it in. It's not about deciding who's in and who's out. How many billboards have we all driven past in our road trips through Indiana (sighs) asking us where we're going to go? Well, the scripture tells us that we are going to go on bended knee singing praises to God with all the rest of creation. The scripture tells us we are going to go back to the garden in Revelation 22 by by the stream under the tree of life that we are going to be joined together in holy, healed community. That's where we're going to go. That in the fullness of time, we trust that God can repair all, that God will repair all, and that we will be mended together. And so, this thing we call sin, we should talk about it because we want to be on the lookout for the wounds in the universe. We want to be on the lookout for the ways that we have contributed to harm in our communities. And we want to heal that. And we trust that we can do that. That God is doing that, is always doing that, and we honor the Holy Spirit by naming every place that God is healing the world. And that we have the honor and privilege of participating with God in that healing. Recognizing sin for what it is, those impacts, those tears in the universe, and joining with the love of God, the love of community, and the love that keeps you breathing every day, coming together and mending that into wholeness. We can do this. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, your love does heal all. Help us to trust that your love is the reason for any of this conversation and that the goodness that you see in us, the trust you place in us to participate with you in healing the universe through your love, that that is enough and that there is nothing we can do to fall out of your grace. There is nothing we can do to fall out of your love that you will mend us back together, that you will invite us into wholeness and that we have what it takes to heal. In your name we pray, amen.